welcome to the Flow State Report podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in to what is the 85th episode of this podcast. So before we get into it, I just wanted to give you a quick update of uh, where I'm at in my life. I've just come back from a six-week journey to Europe, um, and in the last couple of weeks in Bali. It's been awesome. Lots of traveling, um, run a retreat for clients in Berlin, and lots of family time, which is uh, equal parts fulfilling and frustrating. It's difficult. Um, and really, it's very apt for the um, topic of this particular podcast this week. So it, this is part six of a six-part mini-series into meditation. If you've been following along, I've been releasing these episodes every other episode. Um, so I've been interspersing one interview with um, a flow pioneer with uh, and interspersing it with an episode which has been a monologue um, diving into meditation. So I hope you've got something from this mini-series. This final episode of this six-week series is all about meditation and the spiritual path. And uh, this is very, very um, on topic because <laughs> my meditation practice has been the thing that has just kept me um, in flow for over the past few weeks. I must admit there's been a couple of weeks where I was deeply out of flow, um, the struggle of um, yeah, being being on the road, being away from routines, um, being around, being in high trigger environments. But the thing that helped me get back into flow has 100% been my meditation practice, carving the time out to be silent, to be in solitude, um, to be in nature, and to just drop into the stillness within. And I hope that you've experienced some of that stillness. To kick off this week's episode, I want to drop a beautiful quote by a fellow called Pierre de Chardin, and he said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. I love that. This week on this episode, we're going to demystify spirituality and the spiritual path, uh, which is a necessary thing to do because it's been mystified and it's been wrapped up in all sorts of weirdness. And and the effect of that is that it makes spirituality um, unpalatable or inaccessible to many people, especially people who see themselves as scientific or logical, rational. Um, and to me, there's no need to, you can be both rational and scientific and spiritual. There's no need to see these things as um, in unintegratable ends of a polarity. Myself, I'm completely non-religious. I would go further than that to say I, I see organized religion as one of the things holding back humanity. Um, but I view myself as extremely spiritual. To me, our spirit is our essential nature. It's the subtle, formless, animating force of consciousness. The spiritual path, therefore, is a way to realize, to enliven and nurture the spirit within. It's to walk the path of harmonizing with nature. So have you ever noticed the curious, wide-eyed wonder of a small child? The spirit of a child flows through their capacities for spontaneous joy and wonder. You see a small child in awe of life or a butterfly or whatever it is, and you can sense their fascination, the, um, the wonder, the twinkle in their eye, just the open-mouthed awe at the mystery of life. You can sense this delight. And these are all facets of adult spirituality too. However, what happens in our culture 
not in all cultures, but certainly in our culture, is that by the teenage years, most human beings in our culture have developed this powerfully dualistic understanding of themselves and the world. It's as if we train humans to stand outside of the world and observe it rather than be in it. And in this binary vision of the universe, the opposing features are emphasized. We compare and we judge. Things are either young or old, good or bad, but never at the same time. Spirituality, on the other hand, involves the, the development of a holistic appreciation of a universe in which everyone and everything is connected seamlessly with everyone and everything. Let's look at some definitions of spirituality which can help to unpack this holistic appreciation of the universe that I described. So some people might describe spirituality as a sense of interconnectedness with all life. Yeah, that certainly rings true for me. Others might call it a sense of belonging to the family of life or an awareness of the purpose and meaning in life. Others might describe it as the development of personal values that support life, a sense of compassion for self and others, and my personal definition, a sense of living in the flow of life. So you may have noticed in yourself a subtle shift that's been happening as you embark on your spiritual practice, as you develop your skills of dropping in to a meditative state of consciousness. I'm sure that some of the definitions that I've just given resonate with you. I wonder if you started to, to feel this sense of connection, which often is manifested in a sense of compassion for others, for all of life. If so, this is your spiritual self emerging from the shadows. And this self emerges when excessive thinking and the domination of the mind-made me begins to soften, relax, and diminish. So really, it's excessive thinking, this obsession with thinking, this addictive thinking, that creates separation from life and creates struggle with life. The other day, I was at a social event, and I was having a drink with someone, and he said, look, Jerry, I'm very happy, um, but I just can't sleep at night, and I just have this, these thoughts just running through my mind, and I just cannot, cannot do anything about them. And I began to wonder what definition of happiness this human being was running with. Because this excessive thinking that he was speaking about that was keeping him awake at night is literally something that creates separation from the flow of life. It is literally the meaning of struggle. It's a definition of struggle to have a level of thinking that we cannot control, that we are not in control of. This is the cause of all of the neuroses that we see in our culture. Meditation softens and relaxes this excessive thinking and allows our spiritual nature to emerge like the sun emerging from behind a cloud. This is what we mean by awakening. This is what we mean by enlightenment. These metaphors to describe some sort of brightening, illuminating process. This is the process of something emerging. We're letting go of the striving, the obsession with thinking, and we're flowing with life. We become part of the connected universe. And this is the essence of living in flow, the flow state path that I teach. Which This is all about tuning in with the natural rhythms of the universe and letting go of the need to control everything and to learn how to trust. And it's this trust that actually becomes a form of surrender. And this surrender is founded upon a knowing that we are inseparate from everything and everyone else. I'll say that again. This level of surrender, 
which is implicit in the spiritual path. It's a it's a it's a stage that one comes to as one embarks on this process of learning what lies beyond the obsessive thinking mind. We learn that there is this choice to surrender or to keep on struggling. And the surrender can only come when we sense and then dive into and then embrace and then nourish this knowing that we are inseparate from everything and everyone else. So I want to give a little bit of a, a shout out and dive dive into some of the spiritual traditions, well, it's particularly the Eastern philosophies, because I'm most familiar with them. And my life, my my own practice and sense of spirituality has been most informed by them, in particular Buddhism. Um, learning about Buddhism, I, I, I was talking to a friend the other day about my particular journey and when I shifted from the corporate world in 2008, I was anxious, depressed, afraid, shameful, uh, 14 kilos, overweight, extremely unhealthy, riddled with addictions. And I would say that two factors more than anything um, helped me change and transform my life more than other, more than more, more than anything else. And the first was uh, reacquainting myself with nature and. I moved to Bali and I went surfing every day and I was watching the sunrise and I was absorbing natural sunlight and eating healthily and I was in the ocean um, and I was experiencing flow states. And then the second thing I was doing when uh, in between the surfing was reading about Buddhism. And I was learning that in Buddhist philosophy, there is no God as an individual, as a separate entity. But the qualities we associate with godliness are within us. They form part of our essential being. We are God. And in this context, spiritual life is about engagement with life, connecting with life, accepting its challenges with grace and courage. It's not necessarily about becoming a monk or shaving your head or living in a cave or going to church. Walking a spiritual path is the everyday integrated practice of nurturing one's consciousness, one's spirit, one's inner nature. Basically, it's the practice of being a good human, being kind and compassionate and behaving as you would if you believed you were part of an interconnected whole. So this spiritual path and meditation, the cornerstone of the spiritual path, is literally the most compassionate and loving path to live. And if we zoom out to the big picture of life on earth and humanity's role in life on earth, it's... I think it's fair to say that the only way the world will become peaceful and harmonized and suffering will end is if people as individuals take responsibility to find more peace within, to find the peace within their hearts. And this really is my mission. The mission of Flow State is to help human beings walk that inner path so that the culture that we're a part of and the systems that we're a part of can harmonize in natural flow. So I wanted to introduce... Um, and I guess I'll call him a, a mentor or a, an elder, or I've never met him, but he's a figure who's had a profound impact on my life. Joseph Campbell is his name, and he's famous for writing about the hero's journey. He was an anthropologist who studied myths all around the world, and he noticed that wherever you were in the world, whether you're around Inuits in Lapland or whether you're with, with uh, tribal people in the Amazon, there's uh, the, the same 
themes, the same myths and stories are being passed down from generation to generation. And he defined these myths as maps for the psyche to provide guidance and inspiration throughout life. He called these the soul journey, the, the spiritual teachings that provided a map for the journey of the soul. And if we actually think about many of the popular stories, whether it's in our culture, whether it's King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, or whether it's Star Wars or The Matrix, they all contain this code of the classic hero's journey. And I'll map it out for you. Um, if you can just imagine this is step one of a circle, so we're just maybe like one o'clock or two o'clock on the clock, we have the longing. Uh, sorry, actually, we start at 12 noon um, on this clock, and we have the longing. And this is what motivates the seeker, maybe that's you, to begin the quest. And this quest could be for fame or fortune, or it could be for love or happiness or peace. It could be a longing that's preset by culture, like the longing to be successful or wealthy or safe or secure. Or it could be a longing that's preset from a higher level of consciousness, from something within you, a longing to be free. But whatever that longing is, the hero sets out for a journey, which takes them to stage two, which is the search. And this is the hero out in the world looking for whatever it is that will fulfill the dream. The hope is that something or someone out there will be found to fulfill the longing, which takes us to step three, which is the struggle. There's always a struggle. The search brings gain and loss, pain and pleasure, hope and despair. For me, it brought addictions, it brought uh, shame, it brought all sorts of pain. It brought toxic relationships, it brought ego domination, it brought fears that I never even knew existed. But with all heroes' quests, just when the dream seems close to realization, just when you think that there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's more struggle. And this is because this is how life works, which takes us to stage four, which is the disillusionment phase. And this is the crisis which shatters hopes and dreams. This is the nadir. This is you falling into the abyss. Everything's falling apart. Relationships are breaking up. You lose your job. You have a self-identity crisis. You plunge into a dark abyss of existential crisis. You lose your money. You lose loved ones. You become sick. You grieve. And this is taking you deeper and deeper into the struggle so that you can hit rock bottom. And this is when life lessons come thick and fast as blessings in disguise. The pain of disillusionment creates space and stillness. A crack opens in which something new can pour. And this is an opportunity when you've been knocked to the ground to reassess the struggle, to reassess life. This is the time for big questions. What is it that I'm looking for in life? Am I looking in the right places? What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? We have to ask these questions. The disillusionment phase breaks down the hero. It breaks down the patterns of conditioning. It makes us look in places where we had never looked before. It makes us look at our wounds, our shadows, and it leads to a new type of reflection, which can take us to the next phase, which is the choice. The choice is the crossroads. At the crossroads, we have one choice of looking externally to continue to look outside of ourselves, to feed our ego, 
to look outside for the answers, to continue this external path of success, or we can look within. We can look within. We can go within. We can look within for the answers. We can ask our inner nature for the wisdom. The choice is whether we re-enter the struggle or we embrace the homecoming. By re-entering the struggle, we, this means choosing this panic reaction. And I see this all the time. It's the rebound from relationship into another relationship. It's the distraction of moving to another country. It's the taking up of a new hobby or, more sadly, a new addiction. It's the turning to drugs or alcohol. It's the buying of the Ferrari. It's any behavior that fills the void. But if we don't choose that option, then we embrace the opportunity to look within, to come home. This is the stage of the quest where the hero stops searching and struggling towards the imagined dream of fulfillment. And this is when we arrive in the here and now. This is when we decide a new path to look within for the answers. This is when we realize that the answer to real happiness is to be content with what we have, with how things are in the here and now, in this very moment. This is the cessation of the struggle of trying to be someone else or somewhere else. This is the acceptance of here and now. This is the opportunity to connect with your essential nature. This is far from a passive or resigned energy. This is the path of the warrior. This is accepting the present to truly liberate ourselves, to free ourselves, to choose behaviors born of love, not fear. This homecoming is a time for renewal and healing. It's when we live, when we live on this uh, plane, when we embrace, when we dive into this plane of living, existence, we develop our spiritual qualities. We develop acceptance and forgiveness and humility and patience and compassion. And as the great poet T.S. Eliot said, at the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. It's really talking about this hero's journey. So where does meditation fit within this cycle of life that I just described? Well, many people turn to meditation during the disillusionment phase, during that bottom phase of the journey, where life is just confusing and struggling and struggle. Because many people sense that there's another way, there is this internal path, there is the healing potential and space-giving potential in this meditation. And meditation becomes a way to stop the cycle of endless chasing after pleasure or running from pain. It stops us in our tracks so we can do the healing and processing that's part of the human experience. And this is why there's often such profound growth for people who give themselves the space to heal and who hear the call to drop in. So it's important to know that the hero's journey does not necessarily stop with our homecoming. Nothing ever stops. If I've taught you anything <laughs> with these flow state podcasts is that life never stops. The flow always continues. Life is impermanent and ever flowing and dynamic and continuous. And there's a perpetual cycle that we go on throughout life. But when we reach the end of one hero circle, we are really preparing ourselves to jump into the next, the next cycle, the next spiral. Then a new longing is defined. Maybe now it's not a longing to be rich. Maybe now it's a longing to be whole. Maybe now it's a longing to contribute in a maximum way. Maybe it's a longing now to show our parents how much we love them. 
every time we journey on our path, the subsequent phases of struggle are journeyed with ever more wisdom and compassion. This is growth. The struggle doesn't stop. The pain doesn't stop because this is life. But we gain new levels of wisdom, new levels of self-awareness, new levels of clarity, which help us navigate these struggles with greater equanimity, with greater flow. So I think that my whole 20s, I'm 38 now, my whole 20s and has been defined and maybe, yeah, my whole life, what am I talking about, has been defined by the hero's quest. But in particular in my 20s, I went through a particularly sharp and defined um, cycle of the hero's path. Um, I was desiring freedom. I felt trapped in life, so I systematically tried to free myself. And what I achieved was freedom from an unhealthy relationship, freedom from responsibility, freedom from a job, freedom from office politics, freedom to play when I want, freedom to go where I want, when I want, freedom to buy what I want. And that was my entire 20s. It was a search for freedom outside of myself. But I realized, finally, that I was still unfree. I faced the choice after enough times of trying to find freedom externally, smashing my head against the wall of disillusionment and struggle. And I chose to go within to find freedom. And I chose to be still and meditate lots. And I read amazing books and I nourished my consciousness with wisdom and I surrounded myself with epic human beings walking the path and I gave myself space from the thinking mind. I learned that true freedom is simple awareness. It's acceptance of what is. It's the reassuring understanding of interconnection. The first path, the first step on this path is to refocus attention inward instead of looking externally for answers. And that really is why we meditate. The longer you search outside yourself for meaning, the longer you delay your liberation, your freedom, and your awakening. So drop in, meditate, start looking within. So as we end the, as we near the end of this six-part mini-series, let's have a quick refresher at some methods of integrating meditation and mindfulness into your daily life. Number one is mindfulness of breathing. Remember to breathe. Breath is life. Stop regularly and take deep, slow, full conscious breaths. Let's take one now. Every time we do that, we're honoring something within ourselves. We're stopping the control of the mind. We're allowing ourselves to rest. Every time we do that, savor your breath. Revel in your breath. You're always just one luscious inhale and one decadent exhale away from stillness and flow. The next method is mindfulness of your body. Remember that you have this body, this temple, this vessel, which is carrying you around in life and more. Remember to bring your awareness to your posture, to your skeletal structure, to your muscles, to your feet touching the earth, to your senses. Bring your awareness into your body to find new levels of freedom and stillness and flow. Mindfulness of eating. This is a beautiful practice because of the automaticity of eating in some people. Breathe, smell, give thanks, taste, chew, savor, enjoy. Mindfulness at home. <laughs> My wife is going to chuckle and point her finger if she hears me. Here's this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Cleanliness, housework. <laughs> creating beauty in the home. <laughs> I just have a different way of looking at beauty in the home, I would say to Maria, my wife. 
Uh, but these are all ways of um, honoring ourselves. These are ways of bringing mindfulness into our practice. Mindful showers, mindfulness of communication, mindfulness of how we stand, how we walk, how we surf. Mindfulness of every aspect of our lives. This is the way to developing higher consciousness. How we drink water from the cup, how we sip coffee, how we um, talk to ourselves before we go to sleep at night. This is the path to mindfulness, and mindfulness is the path to stillness and flow. And stillness and flow is the path to higher states of consciousness, the magical realm of the quantum reality that we live in, beyond time and space and laws of physics. This is the world of attracting whatever it is that you want into your life by aligning your thoughts with your feelings. This is the world that's opening up to you as a meditator. This is the world of, that lies beyond the commonly held notions of peak performance and potential. This is the realms of alchemy and magic. And don't be surprised when you start to magnetically, synchronistically draw towards you exactly the people and the opportunities that you need to walk your path in life. I'm going to leave you with a beautiful quote by Joe Dispenza. He says, Meditation opens the door between the conscious and subconscious minds. We meditate to enter the operating system of the subconscious, where all of those unwanted habits and behaviors reside, and change them to more productive modes to support us in our lives. Where we put our awareness maps our destiny. Thank you so much for following me on this series. Thank you so much for supporting the Flow State Performance Podcast and myself on this journey. Please stay on the path. I have enjoyed walking it with you. See you next time.